Sometimes we like to fool ourselves into thinking that, oh, you know, this is B2B. We behave rationally when we're in this business context. And it's just not really the case. If anything, there might even be more idiosyncrasies with B2B than with B2C in some ways. The B2B Marketing Exchange was created with one goal in mind, to help B2B practitioners across marketing and sales be better at their jobs. Now we're bringing the insights from the stage to your ears. These are the tips and tools you need to succeed. This is the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. Hey everyone, how's it going? Welcome back to another episode of the B2BMX Podcast. I'm Claudia. And I'm Alicia. And today's conversation is with Dan Englander, who is the founder and CEO of Sales Schema, which is an agency that simply helps marketing agencies win their dream clients. Alicia and I had a really awesome conversation with Dan, really about all things customer acquisition to client retention and everything in between. And it really all kind of all boils down to outbound strategies and personalization. And he really even made a really good case for email marketing and newsletters. I don't know about you, Alicia, but I thought this really covered a wide range of different topics. I mean, we we went through video, we went through everything. So what did you think? Yeah, yeah, I agree, Claude. And I really like, to your point, that he talked about some of like the new, quote unquote, hot channels like podcasting and social media, obviously LinkedIn being the obvious one, but touched a little bit on Instagram, which I know people like to speculate whether that's even effective for B2B. But he really emphasized the importance of those more personal and direct channels that help build that intimacy with prospects and existing clients and how that's really important now because we're getting so much stuff and we're getting so much stuff pushed at us that sometimes those little small touches that just emphasize, hey, I'm a person, let's, you know, talk. That's really key. And he even got into messaging, which, you know me, I love a good messaging conversation, how to strike that balance between being relevant and timely and also not being overly pushy or, you know, coming off as arrogant or not understanding of the current situations that a lot of people are going through now. So with that, whether you want to look into channels and tactics, or if you want to kind of zoom out and focus on like the high level messaging and strategy, I think Dan covered at all. Hope you enjoy it. Hey, Dan, how's it going? Thanks so much for taking the time today. I'm well. I'm well. Thank you for having me on. Awesome. So you started out living that agency life, but I know you noticed there were some pitfalls in the traditional model. So how did your experiences inspire you to start Sales Schema? Yeah, yeah. So for some context, my background was kind of as like an accounts grunt, like an account coordinator working for an agency that was focusing on the consumer space. So I would do things like answer inquiries on the Facebook wall when like a product would break and pitch all sorts of ideas that were mostly overlooked. So, you know, from there, I moved on to a new business role that was actually more of like a split sales and client service role, which is something that I think is pretty typical in the agency space, whether it's an accounts person or a partner or an owner doing it. There's this sort of older model of agency leaders splitting their time between sales and client service. And I'm sure you see this across the board in other B2B industries. So basically, I was trying to figure out how to balance my time between serving clients and winning clients. And then I went off on my own and 
started sales schema as kind of a strategy based consultancy and all of my clients in the early days were agency owners and i would give them all sorts of fancy ideas like hey go set up this crm or try this cadence or whatever and lo and behold uh, most of them were quite busy you know so i realized pretty early on that the main need in my market was actually doing things for people and then pivoted pretty early to where we are now which is basically a fractional new business team for boutique ad agencies. And I'd say most of our clients are probably like 10 to 100 person uh, marketing agencies. Oh, that's very interesting. So let's dig a little bit deeper into the quote unquote, what's broken, so to speak, in the agency model. So is it the fact that people are relatively spread thin between managing and winning new business and maintaining relationships? I guess looking at it through the lens of client acquisition, right? Because even though relationship maintenance is really important. At the end of the day, people still want new logos, right? So what was really broken in that area that you're striving to address? Yeah, it's a great question. And I I think it's a few things. I think that, like you said, there are a lot of these split roles where people are kind of balancing two very demanding tasks. And you don't see that in a lot of other B2B enterprises. You know, usually there's this division of duties, whether it's similar areas like consulting and then especially like tech and software and that sort of thing. So I think the interesting question is why that is. Why is it in the agency space? Do you have these split roles of owners and and others kind of balancing both things? And yes, there is quite a bit of complexity to the sale, but that doesn't answer the question because there's complexity in lots of different areas. I think The main thing that's broken is that the agency space up until relatively recently has behaved according to old rules where you would have a client or an account that would stick with an agency for years or decades at a time. And even if you watch shows like Mad Men, you kind of see that, right? Where the client would stick with an agency forever. And then it really did make sense to have like an accounts person that might be selling different projects but is really kind of like this, the one in the same sales and account manager role. I think a lot of things have changed with the internet and it's sort of one of those, the future is here. It's just not evenly distributed kind of dynamics. And now we talk to brands, we have brands on our podcast all the time, CMOs, et cetera, that are balancing like literally 50 agencies. Like I just did an interview with marketing leader at an outdoors company and they're managing 50 plus agencies. And they're constantly testing specialists, constantly testing agencies and working with people for months and then bouncing around. So really like the brands are enjoying optionality, but the agencies aren't leading into that dynamic. So I think the main thing that's broken is just really just this lack of division of duties, basically. Interesting, interesting. And obviously, you serve a very specific audience. There are very specific nuances to what makes that agency model challenging. And obviously, those challenges lead to opportunities. But I'm wondering if there are any correlations between other industries in the B2B world. So you noted complexities. Uh, I'm also wondering if some of these challenges and in turn, the best practices and tactics that we're going to be talking about today could transcend into maybe like SaaS type players where there's that relationship component that's so important that need for retention and possibly even upselling. I mean, is there going to be nuggets of wisdom, so to speak, from our conversation today that that maybe other B2B industries can apply? Yeah, I think so, for sure. And the main trend that I'm seeing across the board that surprised me is the trend towards specialization and basically the trend towards long tail. The main thing that came to mind is I interviewed Kyle Racky, who's the head honcho at Proposify. And I was thinking, all of our clients really do need to niche because they're agencies and what they do is so complex and they really need to focus on a particular area or whatever. But you own a software company, you can probably just 
have like a product that solves a problem for lots of different industries, lots of different people across the board. And I still think that's the case, but he surprised me because he was like, no, we're actually finding a need to specialize even our SaaS product towards a particular area because we're starting to see more and more competitors that are like whatever this the proposal software for financial services companies or, or whatever it might be. So I, I think that's the bigger thing. And that's definitely coming into play across the board because regardless of it being X, Y, or Z space, we're all competing for time across the board from the same people. So, you know, we're we're selling to CMOs. CMOs are also being sold to and their time is being demanded from SaaS companies and from a million other places. So I think hopefully there'll be lots that your listeners can use. Yeah, that's very interesting. I mean, that competing for time is so key in terms of even building campaigns. And I know you've run over 7,000 campaigns as a business. Have you uncovered any specific learnings from these experiences, mainly around like the channels and tactics that kind of resonate the most? Yeah, yeah. And I think the main overall theme is just how idiosyncratic we all are. And sometimes we like to fool ourselves into thinking that, oh, you know, this is B2B. We behave rationally when we're in this business context. And it's just not really the case. If anything, there might even be more idiosyncrasies with B2B than with B2C in some ways. For example, just small things will have big impacts on campaigns like switching up the sender, whether from male to female or female to male or or whatever, changing the title, putting a face to a name first, just little kind of human things will have bigger impacts on a campaign than trying to get a white paper attachment perfect or something like that. So that's, that's kind of like a bigger overarching theme that we've noticed over the years. Yeah, and that's great. And a lot of the case studies even on your site kind of meld together different channels, whether it's events, social media, PR. How can companies really determine the right mix, especially now in this digital-only world? Everything is changing. Everything is evolving. We're still trying to figure out what's working and what isn't. So any insights there on the different channels? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I always like to say it's highly contextual. I, I try to avoid being the guy with the hammer trying to sell everybody the hammer, right? But that said, we're obviously big believers in outbound and in outreach. And it's hard for me to think of a situation in which it's not a good thing to use if you're in the B2B space. And I think that it can be broad framed a little bit into thinking of like, this is a a long game you're playing with outbound. It's not like you have a list and then you burn through it and have to get new names or new people, but thinking about more how like outbound kind of entwines itself into all the other strategies that you're doing. So for example, whatever it is you choose beyond that, if you're doing webinars, if you have a podcast, or you're putting out blog articles, if you're hosting digital events, outbound can basically run the role of getting people that don't know you yet into that system, in addition to straight up getting sales consultations, which is what we're usually doing for clients. So definitely outreach. Beyond that, I think a good mix is newsletter or email. And again, outbound is part of that, but email is basically anti-fragile. We've seen different platforms come and go. We've had different social media platforms come and go, or even the ones that have stuck around change their policies all the time in terms of what you can and can't do. But email is one of these things that hasn't really weakened. It's changed. But if you have a list, that's something that you own and no software company owns. And how you market to those people might change. But I really think that building that list and building that newsletter is something that absolutely everybody should be doing. Beyond that, if you're thinking about the third kind of element of your stock 
stock portfolio and the thing that might be a little bit more risky, and that's when you're thinking of the shopping mall, right? Or the existing traffic channel, something that's going to send people your way and something that's dynamic and so on and so forth. So for B2B, LinkedIn has kind of become the no-brainer, but I'm a little more agnostic there. I think it just depends on your offering and you know what you want to do. And there could be ways you can get really fancy with other kind of more consumery platforms like Instagram or retargeting and all that sort of thing. We do some of that internally, but that's not our main focus. So I'm probably not the right person to go into a lot of detail about it. Awesome. And yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, having that human aspect too, like you mentioned, it's really important and, and it's a way to kind of stand out from all the kind of clutter in people's email inboxes and things like that. Are there any other kind of I don't want to say channels, but different formats and things like that for B2B brands to really get in front of their prospects in an authentic way, in a human way. I know you mentioned podcasts and social media and things like that. Is there anything specific that really is resonating well? Yeah, for sure. And again, like I think the channels, whenever there's a hot new channel and it sort of catches on, you know, it'll work like gangbusters for people to get there early. And then all of a sudden it'll stop working because there's too many competitors and too many people in the party and so on. So that's kind of like an almost a natural law now. And like you said, I think what what's more interesting to me are the purple cows, just the companies that are kind of rewriting the rules and doing really interesting things. So of course, there's not one way that plays out. I think one that I thought was really interesting recently is basically an agency in our network focuses on biotech and life sciences, and they created an industry award. So they, they or maybe a few different awards for various things in their space, completely different entity, just focused on that. So it was basically just a networking play and a way to sort of make them create a moat around what they're doing and so on. So that's the sort of thing that I think is really, really cool is if you can think of how are other people that are serving your industry or adjacent to what you're doing, what are they doing well? And you know what can you do to either collaborate with them or create your own version of that thing if it doesn't exist? I think that's pretty compelling. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think especially in context of the now, right, Dan? I mean, I feel like more than ever, we're seeing people who want to collaborate, who want to share ideas, and who want to kind of uncover new opportunities or answers to what we're living in. So I do want to kind of dig into that that context of, you know, the world we're living in today, like Claudia noted, all we have is digital for the most part. I mean, we're hearing that a lot of events aren't even going to be thinking about starting up again in person until the end of 2021 at this point. So that's a very big gap. And as a result with that shift, we are seeing an overflow of digital engagement especially through organic means, right? So like you said, a lot of LinkedIn, social media, virtual events, what have you, in order to get people to raise their hands, right? So I guess my question for you is, have the best practices changed? I guess mainly from a strategic standpoint, right? Because we talked a little bit about tactics, but I do want to kind of zoom out. How can brands kind of figure out what the right inbound mix can or should be in light of these changing, not just buyer behaviors, but the competitive landscape, right? Because there's so much that we have to consider and stand out from. So I don't know if you have any particular viewpoints as far as how that strategic approach has changed. Yeah, yeah. And I hate to kind of beat a dead horse, but I think everything is moving towards the long tail and is moving towards specialization and so on. And I think 
what that means is that B2B sales and, and marketing people can kind of rewrite the rules a little bit and template things less, look at best practices a little bit less and so on, and really like kind of go back to first principles and think about what's going to work based on their audience. And that first the foundation of that is asking the tough questions and figuring out, you know, what problem are we solving and who specifically are we solving it for and what pool are we playing in and so on. And then from there, it's kind of, again, back to like common sense and first principles. And, and I think to answer your question, one of the big changes is getting away from this kind of like numbers game sales thinking. And that's not to say numbers don't matter. It's not to say volume doesn't matter. You obviously have to maintain a certain volume of activity in any medium to get results from it. But I think what's changed is this idea of mass marketing, whether it's by email or mass sales campaigns and kind of seeing what's going to be scraped up. I think that's getting to a point of diminishing returns now. And to be tangible, we have a lot of campaigns now where we might be contacting like 50 prospects a week. And that gives us a comparable, if not a better return than back in the old days when we would contact hundreds or thousands of people per week. So I think beyond that, another thing is personalization, which is one of these buzzwords that I hate because it can mean anything. Right. Right? <laughs> uh, it's, it's really contextual, but I think that it becomes easier when you have fewer people that you're contacting. And, and then another is just thinking about like, what is the situation somebody is going to be in when they're consuming this thing, right? So, you know, to get tangible with that, I think a common one is LinkedIn, where people are sending, we all get these kind of spammy messages in LinkedIn that usually aren't working anymore. And it's because people aren't really like thinking about what the recipient's going through at that time. And usually for on LinkedIn, most people are going to be on their phones. They're kind of scanning through articles and they might see that you're in their space, you're in their tribe, you know, you're, they're basically like, oh, okay, I'm in whatever food and beverage industry. This person's also in food and beverage. I'll at least accept their connection. But no, I'm not going to like respond to you. And I'm definitely not going to go from my LinkedIn app into my email app and figure out a time to connect with you over the calendar. Like that's just not going to happen right now. But the face to a name element and the warm connection really is important. But it's like kind of figuring out where what the right level of persistence is at any given time, I think is going to be important. And really like, I think it takes simplifying things and taking a step back as opposed to creating some Rube Goldberg machine of, uh, of sales cadences. And another big trend, you know, just like I'm not rambling too much is, is away from automation. I think automation is one of these things that gets touted out a lot because everyone wants it. I want it. You want it. The idea of like having a machine that you turn on and it does everything for you is amazing. But I think that in the realm, especially in the realm of B2B, when we're not talking about like mass consumer marketing or something, automation can have real diminishing returns. There's things that um, work because they take time and creativity and it's worth that time. And I think the more important thing is figuring out who is going to be the brain power going towards that creativity as opposed to some sort of automation that like everybody kind of unthinkingly goes through. That sort of maps with the idea of contacting fewer people in a given week to get meetings or get people on a webinar or whatever it might be. Yeah, no, I, I think those are some great points. And I think to tack onto that until um, we move forward, I do want to ask if you have any perspectives on tips to kind of help everyone listening strike that balance, right? Because I think there is an art to finding those little details, you know, about a person that you want to reach out to to make sure it's relevant. But then I've also seen my fair share of cases where people are either going a little bit too far or to your point, 
it gets almost naggy, right? Or like, oh, I haven't heard from you. And oh, please, at least just answer me. And like, it just becomes like a little too much. So I guess looking at it through the lens of like outbound engagement and like getting sales to actually interact and engage with prospects. Any tips to kind of help people strike that balance between scalability, right? Everyone has a lot to do. Everyone has goals that they need to reach, but like also being personal and being, I guess, at the end of the day, human, right? So, I mean, any recommendations? Yeah, yeah great question. So I think it's it's a number of different things and I want to be as specific as possible. But I think one is like understanding that you can sub-communicate things without words. And I think a lot of people never learn that lesson, right? So the idea of saying like, you know, I haven't heard from you in a while, blah, blah, blah. Like some of that doesn't need to be said. (laughs) The other thing is what, you know, all you're trying to do is de-risk a conversation. You're not trying to get anybody to buy anything. So that's where multiple channels come in, kind of cementing the idea that you're in somebody's world when you contact them that, hey, even if we can't do business right away, it's at least worth us knowing each other because we're both in the same space can happen through a combination of, for example, LinkedIn and email. And I think, the right amount of persistence where often you know we might be turning up the gas a little bit is when we get some level of interest whether it's somebody opening or replying and then dropping off or something to that effect that's where the phone really does help. And I think that's where on the other end, cold calling doesn't work so well anymore. Another thing is just keeping in mind, like just how busy everybody is without having to just constantly like remind people that they're busy or or, or, like saying it overtly. (laughs) Like one sort of no brainer thing that I still see so many people failing at is like, if you're responding to somebody after X days or X weeks, and you've started a new thread with a new subject line, they have no context on what you were reaching out about. And you're kind of assuming that they know when they really don't. So everything should be conveniently in one place so that they can refresh on what you're doing. I think this is where videos can help, one pagers can help, and where multiple 50-page decks don't help, right? And video is becoming bigger. We're seeing that more and more where like maybe making that personalized video when it's worth it helps. Or if it's not personalized, at least it's the salesperson on camera showing that they're real and talking about the problems that they solve and so on. So all of those things are different elements that we're, we're finding to work. I'm just kind of accepting and understanding the situation without beating people over the head with it and just kind of like leaning towards brevity in most cases, although there are exceptions. Yeah, I love that. And really just at the end of the day, it's having all the data and all the buyer insights available to you to really show that you know their industry, you know what they're going through, and then just personalizing it that way. So I love that video approach as well. We've seen a lot of success with videos from just our perspective and then just from people that I talk to on Demand Gen Report. But to transition a little bit over to since we've talked so much about client acquisition so far and winning the business, I wanted to kind of move over to what happens after someone signs on the dotted line and is now a customer. What advice would you give for for those looking to really maintain engagement and drive ongoing business and really make sure that their customer experience is just as good as their buyer experience? Yeah, yeah. And this is definitely something that we have experimented with a lot over the years and something we're constantly working to improve and so on as as everybody else is. I think the main area to focus is onboarding and the first X months of your engagement, depending on what it is you're doing. That's the time that's kind of most fragile. And I think that if you get it really right, you're going to be more likely to keep people for a really long time, just like anything else, you know, like kind of like the Lindy law, the idea that something's lasted for a long time, it's more likely to last for 
an even longer time. So I think getting that right, and for us, it's meant figuring out the right amount of friction and what work is really worth it from the client, like what work we want the client to do that's really going to make a difference versus the unnecessary work. And I think what we've learned is like, we were putting people through too much. We were making them do stuff that they really didn't need to do in the early days. And then since then, we figured out, okay, here's the stuff we needed them to do. We needed them to tell us these things. And then beyond that, we don't need them to spin their wheels as much. So I think figuring that out, figuring out what friction is worth it and what's not. But beyond that, I think stuff like giving gifts is good within reason, just little thank yous, handwritten notes, like all that stuff matters. And it's pretty cheap and pretty easy to do, but such few companies do it. So we've really focused on that as well. And in terms of of like cross-sells and upsells, I think that it has to be, in my experience, it kind of has to be organic. I think sometimes it can be forced. And I've only found upsells and cross-sells to work when people are happy. <laughs> you know, if they're not, if they're not completely happy, uh, it's probably not going to work. So that said, selling people new stuff is a good way to figure out how they really feel. So that's been kind of been my experience with it. No, that's great. Thank you for digging into some actual examples that your company has applied. And to the end, I do want to ask, you know, since we're all attempting to navigate and respond to not just audience realities, right? Like our audience is going through their own changes, their own challenges. We as business executives are as well, whether it be at the company level or the personal level. So I do want to ask you, Dan, I mean, what adjustments have you had to make as not just the founder of the company, but as the CEO, the one who's kind of overseeing the direction of the business? Anything that's been a good lesson that you think our audience can possibly learn and apply on their own terms? Yeah, yeah, I hope so. So we're if kind of in respect to the way the world's changed and everything. We're in a, I think, a lucky and unique situation in that we've been distributed since day one, really since 2014. So I always joke that we're kind of like Bane, born in darkness while everyone else is playing in it. Uh, but anyway, I think that if we're thinking about it in terms of remote work, if that's, if that's kind of where you're going with the question, I think the biggest thing is just setting up the idea of of structure and of on time and off time. And maybe this is kind of nothing new. I think that this is something people are talking about a lot, but we've always been kind of predisposed to working with people that are really into working in a distributed format. And now when you have somebody that's thrown into it, things can be tough for them. So I think being conscientious of that and getting a barometer for like where your team is at, how they're feeling, what they're doing, especially if they're not used to working in a distributed fashion. I think a big part of that is really making sure that they're not checking email or answering emails or getting back to you. If you're seeing a timestamp for like 12 a.m. consistently from somebody that's not usually doing that, then something's wrong and it probably needs to be addressed. So that's kind of more along the lines of the culture stuff, you know, to get more into the BD side of things and, what we're doing since March or so. I think we've always kind of planned on doing this, but it sort of was propelled forward. And that's just offering more to different people in our market that might not be ready to take us on full time. And I think this is an opportunity for lots of different B2B enterprises out there. And it's basically along the lines of education and e-learning. And I think this is, is so cool because it can happen from any various you know grouping of experts, whether you're selling a software product or you're selling consulting or whatever it is, chances are you have a lot of in the trenches stories, a lot of learning, a lot of things that you can teach, 
And I think that e-learning is just going to keep getting bigger and bigger. And this is a great way to lead people to other ways of working with you and so on. So for example, we've launched a course, we're in beta for it, we're improving it and doing all sorts of things. But we basically want to be able to do kind of done with you offerings for for agencies that aren't ready to bring us on, you know, to done for you capacity just yet. So I think that's a huge opportunity for lots of people across the B2B space. That's awesome. And really to close out the conversation, and since you've worked on so many different campaigns in the past with so many clients, any final thoughts, any final lessons or takeaways that you've just distilled from your overall experience, whether it's during this time or in the past that you'd like to share with the audience? Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's probably a lot. I think a big one that I keep circling back to is like, usually the improvements that I'm finding in my business aren't brand new, fresh things. It's usually circling back to something that was working six months ago or a year ago that for some dumb reason we stopped doing. And then the results of stopping that thing become evident. And then sitting back and looking at whatever various data and saying, huh, why did we stop doing that? That was working well, you know? So I think that's one thing is kind of treating this as a destructive exercise and maybe taking a walk and really thinking about like, okay, what specific problem are we solving? Who are we solving it for? And what's the best way to get in touch with people along those lines? I love that. When in doubt, go to the data. I know our team really likes to do that to look at not just what has acquired the most interest, but actual engagement, right? Like the deeper you can go, the more beneficial it could be. Yeah. And not just that. I think it's also about kind of getting away from constantly looking for new things and Mm. getting back to the old stuff that's worked. Right. Absolutely. You don't have to always reinvent the wheel. Well, Dan, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time out to not just share a little bit about sales schema, but your experiences, some lessons around what has worked, what doesn't, frankly, and ways that, you know, everyone listening can adapt, try new things, and of course, better engage with their audience. It was a real pleasure. Likewise. Yeah. Thank you so much. And as always to everyone out there, thanks so much for taking the time out to join me and Claudia for this great conversation on the B2BMX podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe. You'll get alerted when new episodes are available. And if you have any feedback on this episode, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line on Twitter at B2BMX. Thanks again, everyone. We'll see you next time.